Business Desk Today is the podcast for New Zealand business leaders. Your daily business briefing from the team at businessdesk.co.nz. Welcome to Business Desk Today, a daily podcast featuring some of our top stories. It's Thursday, June 22nd, and I'm Riley Kennedy in Auckland. In our top story this morning, Dilepa Fonseca writes, When Prime Minister Chris Hipkins was throwing policies on the bonfire, Michael Wood reportedly clutched a light rail like it was an Auckland Airport share certificate which could slip out of his grasp at any moment. Yes, Michael Wood will probably go down in history as an MP who was unusually committed to investing in the NZX, but in times before all of that, he was also well known for being unusually attached to something else tunnelled light rail in Auckland. People close to the project have reported Wood was constantly asking for project updates and kept an eye on the project in a way other ministers just wouldn't have. Even more unusual because the project has effectively been farmed out to a third party to do the business case. Ollie Lewis reports Auckland Council intends to develop a local bill to address issues like its inability to set higher parking fines, Mayor Wayne Brown says. As it stands, road and control authorities like Auckland Council can't set fines higher than those prescribed in the Land Transport Offences and Penalties Regulation 1999. The regulations set a maximum $12 fine for a parking infringement less than 30 minutes through to a maximum fine of $57 for more than six hours. At a recent conference, General Manager of Strategy at the Infrastructure Council Jeff Cooper addressed the issue briefly. The inflexible approach also doesn't account for local land values and conditions, meaning someone who parked for more than six hours on Queen Street, some of the most valuable land in New Zealand, would pay the same as someone in Gore. Even if the council were to set higher on-street parking rates, the current maximum parking fines weren't enough of a deterrent to make people comply, Brown said. Meanwhile, I'm reporting that the liquidator of Ruapehu Alpine Lifts says they're working hard to avoid the worst possible scenario, shutting the operations down. The operator of Tūroa and Whakapapa ski fields went into voluntary administration last October, owing more than $40 million. It was put into liquidation on Wednesday by Justice Christine Grice in the High Court at Auckland. That came after a four-hour watershed meeting the day before, where major creditors, including the government, ski pass holders and ANZ Bank, voted on options presented to salvage the commercial operations of the fields. For an option to go through, 50% of creditors needed to vote an agreement by number, but also 75% of the value of the debts. Despite more than 93% of the money value voting in favour, the preferred option to sell both Ruapehu Hills for $1 to bidders, Whakapapa Holdings and Pure Tūra failed. John Fisk told Business Desk they had met with staff following the hearing and informed them of the process going forward. As at the point of liquidation, staff were automatically terminated, however they were being issued with temporary liquidation contracts under the same conditions. After the break, what will Fisher & Paykel Healthcare spend on its Karaka campus? Welcome back. 
Victoria Young reports Fish and Parkle Healthcare will spend between 230 and 300 million on the first phase of its capital expenditure for its Karaka campus, according to official documents. The details have come to light through the medtech manufacturer's overseas investment office application to buy the $275 million site. Clearance to buy the 105 hectare site, which is currently rural land, was granted in April, subject to special conditions. The land purchase needed sign-off because, at the time of the application was prepared, some of Fisher & Parkle Healthcare's biggest investors were overseas entities. Documents released under the Official Information Act showed the land regulator was told the transaction involved five records of title to make the company's one campus. The company has told the land regulator it intends to develop the land in three phases, but details including the timing and costs of the second and third phases were redacted in the response given to Business Desk. In Paul Macbeth's latest column, he looks at Thin Lake Milk, writing it first tried tapping the market for funds in 2009. The upstart dairy processor had already come for Fairway, building a factory in Dunsandle in Canterbury, and wanted to double capacity with a second plant with a figure of $150 million bandied about. Back then, New Zealand's capital markets were in a lacklustre shape. The global financial crisis had sapped investors' confidence, dairy prices were in the doldrums, and Fonterra was still reeling from the San Lu Malamine disaster. Enter Bright Dairy and Food with an $82 million injection in what was the Chinese firm's first foray overseas. For Sinlate, it provided not only cash to expand the infant formula plant, but also partnered to tap the growing middle classes of Asia's largest economy. Finally, a look at the markets. New Zealand's market flattened out yesterday on subdued sentiment while horticultural company Seeker and construction provider Fletcher Building both downgraded their full-year results. The top 50 index edged down 13.1 points, or 0.11%, to 11,776.25 points. On the currency front, the New Zealand dollar was trading at 61.69 US cents at 3 o'clock in Wellington, from 61.85 cents on Tuesday. That's it for today. For these stories and more, head to businessdesk.co.nz. Thank you.